There was something large and wet and dead in the middle of the road. Damn, Sid muttered, easing up on the gas, slowing to a thirty-five-mile-per-hour crawl. He just thanked God he had the road to himself, no hell-bent crystal meth-crazed eighteen-wheelers on his tail. There wasn't much reaction time, coming around the bend at highway speed. Most animals learned the hard way, and this one had been no exception. From seven yards away in closing, he tried to identify the remains. They glistened in the wash of his headlights, mashed and splayed across the center line of the curving mountain pass. A good-sized deer? A very large dog? It was impossible to say. He'd gotten pretty good over the years at playing named that roadkill. You learned to check for size and coloration, the shape of the head and tail, but the head appeared to be gone entirely, and there was nothing in the mangled mass that vaguely resembled a tail. The big rigs that rumbled through these hills at night had really outdone themselves this time, he mused. By the first light of dawn, there was nothing left for him to go on. Just a big fur-covered speed bump stuffed with mashed animal pâté. Sid grimaced, swerving mostly out of deference to the deceased. Driving over roadkill was a little too much like dancing on a grave. Not for the first time, he wondered just what in the hell that thing could have been thinking. What force or impulse drove it from the sanctuary of the woods to such a stupid and ignominious end? His tires bit on the gravel on the narrow shoulder, and then it was behind him. Leaving Sid once again alone with his thoughts in the slow unwind of the Mount Haversford Road, Soft and lonely blues on the 67 Mustang's Hitachi stereo. Pale blue-white camel smoke, unfiltered, curling around the dust motes in the air. It was just another blue-gray 545 in the AM, cruising the two-lane blacktop ribbon that gift-wrapped this stiff-backed Pennsylvania ridge, the faint thrum of a hangover dulling his customary appreciation of the valley below. Heat blasted out from the defroster vents. It wasn't quite enough. These days Sid wore a battered flight jacket and long johns to help ward off the creeping autumn chill. His thick, dark hair was tousled, his strong, ruddy face unshaven. He had a sleep potato nestled in the corner of one eye, and a coffee mug wedged between his blue-jeaned thighs. The cup said, Shit happens. He suspected poor Bambi, or Fido, or whatever, would concur. He had no problem with the drive itself. Forty-five minutes of clear sailing through familiar countryside. He loved these woods, these lonely roads, this panoramic overview. It was dragging his ass out of bed every morning that was starting to pose some difficulties for him. Ah, life, as his pal Jules liked to say, how it do go on. Sid felt his emotional index take a dip toward depression. Nuh-uh, he mumbled, not today. He leaned forward to crank up the tunes. Queen Bee's cover of Every Night About This Time filled the car, a deep, rich, dark, chocolate voice from Hammond. Her band would be playing at Chameleon's tonight. It gave him the strength to go on. Sid Jarrett was thirty-four years old, would be thirty-five in less than a week, but the discontent was nothing new. He'd been born with an itch at the back of his brain that he'd never quite figured out just how to scratch— not that he hadn't experimented around some. In fact, it was kind of a lifelong pursuit. He remembered first cruising these same back roads as a sixteen-year-old, downing quarts of national bohemian in the back of Jim Ilgenfritz's pinto wagon with about eight other guys.
You could barely get the bottle up to your lips in the sea of other people's lit cigarettes, bottles, faces, elbows, sweaty armpits, and backs. It was like some bizarre frat house shenanigan, one of those old-fashioned collegiate phone booths, stuffed with old-fashioned drunken collegiate assholes, only underage, undereducated, and set on burning wheels, a movable feast of fragrant, jostling, bellowing buffoons. When Fritz brought the pinto to dead man's curve at a rattling, shimmying ninety purr, what with everybody screaming, that would almost scratch the itch. But all those great teenage excuses dried up at the end of his J.D. status, and 1975 marked his personal watershed point. That was the year Mark Pankowski sent poor, sweet Kimberly Myers face-first through his windshield, just three days before their graduation.